Good morning. Welcome to Screen Cleaning. This is the show that's all about shining a spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. We leave the bad stuff alone. There are plenty of other people who cover that. We're not interested in that. Right, Cole Wissinger? That is right, Jeff. Right, Mickey Randall? Exactly right. Well, I'm so happy to see you guys today. I can't even tell you how happy I am. I won't even try. Does it just mean that the week's over? It's a Friday. Whew! I didn't know if I was going to make it. I'm ready. I'm ready to watch some movies. I'm ready to watch this weekend. Probably like the 20th iteration of A Christmas Carol. Doing a little research. Making making the rounds. Yeah. Um, And hopefully sleep in. Yep. Anybody else going to be watching any movies? Well, I will also be watching some A Christmas Carol because of a future episode of screen cleaning that will happen this December month. Peculiar. Mm-hmm. That's all we'll say about that. Anyway, each and every week on the show, we like to start off by giving you the best in entertainment news. And uh, as is the case many, many weeks, we get geared up to tell you about a really cool piece of news, and then that news changes. Usually During the it's course with, of a week. <laughs> right. Usually it's in the DC universe, right, as Cole likes to say. Oh, I love it when DC, they change in the course of a day what right. they're going to do uh, with their movies. But this is uh, awards season, so we're starting to get that kind of news coming out. I want your opinion, you guys. Do you feel like the Golden Globes carry any clout? Hmm. Hard to say. I'm not a huge fan of the Globes. Okay. No. They don't carry any because clout. Because they're just not the Oscars. That's true. It's it's not surprising at all to see somebody win a Golden Globe for their performance in a movie and then not even be nominated for an Oscar. <clears throat> Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. The Screen Actors Guild is a bunch of actors. They know their actors' stuff. The Producers Guild know their producers. You know, the, all the different guilds have a reason for existing. But the Globes right. is just the Oscars but not the Oscars. It's just a night of fun right. where Ricky Gervais jokes that it's an excuse for the Hollywood foreign press to hang out with some of their favorite stars so they give them a nomination, right? Right. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah, and uh, these award seasons, I've got to say, if there's any beef that I have with them, well, there's plenty to complain about them. But <laughs> one thing is – they don't matter. There are so many award shows now and they're able to do all the math in all these award shows now that it takes all of the fun out of it. And there's really – there are never any surprises anymore as far as who wins because they've already applied all their formulas and looked at the numbers and there it is. So hopefully they can get a good host. And do you guys want to know who the hosts are for the Golden Globes? I do. Um too bad. Too is bad. It, is it? Could it be Andy Samberg and Sandra O? Oh? That is correct. Ding, 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 ding. Now we know who will be the host for the Golden Globes, but unfortunately, we, unfortunately, we no longer know who will be the host for the Oscars. During the course of this week, we thought it was Kevin Hart, but now it's not Kevin Hart. So, boom, boom, boom. wow, wow, that was a that was a united <laughs> effort there, right there. Uh, do you guys want to hear some of the nominees for Golden Globes, even though you say they don't matter? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because, okay, so they, to be fair, they don't matter, and I don't care, but <laughs> I really, really care because in 20 years, a question on Jeopardy is not going to be what was Cole Wissinger's favorite movie of 2018. It's going to be who won the Oscar or who won the Golden Globe. And so True. for trivia purposes that I hold dear to my heart, okay. I very much care who wins these things. Are there really questions – with the Golden Globes on Jeopardy? Yes. Usually it's the Oscars, right? They, 
Yes, more so the Oscars, who? but there have been Golden Globes. But Globe you never categories. know. In 1972, who won the Golden Globe for Best Live Action Short? Yeah. Good luck with that Someone one. knows. Yeah. There probably wasn't even... Jennings. The category probably wasn't even around then. Probably isn't now, like you said, Mickey. Okay. Getting back to the nominations. For the, uh, the, the nominee with the... Or the picture with the most nominees or nominations, Vice. The movie that they're making about... George W. Bush. That but, has not actually come not out yet. Come Sorry, out. not George W. Bush, but Dick Cheney. George W. Bush is in it. Hasn't come out yet. A lot of these movies haven't even come out yet. Um, Mary Poppins Returns got four. Also not out. Um, and then there were some prizes like Bohemian Rhapsody got nominated for Best Musical or Comedy. This is a clear indicator that, you know, it's, it's not really um, indicative of... What is going to be nominated for an Oscar? Yeah. Because it won't be. Blockbusters, I feel like. Yeah. Globes uh, really went for the blockbusters. Black Panther got a Best Drama nomination. Interesting. Um, I don't think it was that good, but there you have it. But Vice currently has, well, it's not going to change. It has the most nominations of any of these pictures with six. Now, does anybody care about TV? I like TV. Okay. Go ahead and run them down. Yeah. See if so we recognize just anything. the top of the few, or a few of the top, The Assassination of Giovanni Versace, Starting American Darren Crime Story. Chris. Four oh, nominations. Wow. Glee fame. The wow. Americans got three nominations. Barry, an HBO comedy, got three. Homecoming, that Amazon Prime original series with Julia Roberts making her television debut. Is that the only one that you've actually seen on that list, Jeff? Uh, no. Oh, nice. Yes. <laughs> And The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, a favorite of my wife, got three as well. Mm. So there you have it. And The Good Place, two two nominations. Interesting. For Ted Danson is okay. unforgivably missing from that list. But, uh, yeah, there they you have it. Kristen Bell, right? Kristen Bell got a nomination, and so did the series oh. for Best Comedy okay. Series. So I'm happy. Yeah. I'm content. Uh, but I probably won't watch. Yeah, we'll see. I just want to be honest with you guys. Speaking of being honest, there is a documentary that's coming out that looks to be a very honest portrayal of a musician whom I love. And I've gone on record and saying that the film Love and Mercy is a favorite of mine, the film about Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys. But Cole, apparently they're making another movie about Brian Wilson. This is going to be the definitive, quote unquote, the definitive documentary about Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys because some people saw Love and Mercy and thought it was uh, lackluster and <coughs> mediocre Cole, Cole. <coughs> and not that great or not as good as Jeff will tell you it is. Lies! Lies! And so now we're going to have a real documentary about this uh, really lush subject material. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to that even though I believe that Love and Mercy is fantastic. Have you seen it, Mickey? No, I have not, nor have I heard of it. So this is a have nice Have you heard of Brian Wilson? Me. Yes, I have. All right. Very good. Cole, anything else that we ought to be talking about? Anything to look forward to this weekend? There's nothing. There are no movie releases, really. Yes. For the second weekend in a row, there are no PG-13 or under major movie releases. So we have no movie reviews for you this week. But next week... Whoa, boy. We're back to it. And then the week after, it's even more. So next... So not this today, Friday... 
but next Friday we've got Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which has one of those Golden Globe nominations for Best Animated Feature. Yes. Also a movie you're going to go see. Yes. And in fact, you know, if you're as puzzled as I am seeing very young children walking through their elementary school with a Deadpool T-shirt, this may make you a little happier because as a Christmas gift, the people of the Deadpool movie studio, Marvel, licensed by Fox – as Which is now also Marvel. <laughs> right. <laughs> they are putting out a PG-13 version of Deadpool. And I don't know if it's Deadpool 1 or Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2, the one that came out earlier this year. Excellent. So PG-13, again, I don't know if it'll if it'll be appropriate even with a PG-13 rating slapped on it. But it's PG-13. He will PG-13. say a particular swear word less than he did in the first one. Well, in the genius – I don't, don't want to use that. genius and Deadpool in the same sentence. But the smart thing that they did or that they're able to do is since he's wearing a mask the whole time, they can just have him say whatever he wants and just go back into a voiceover booth and just dub it over what he said before. You know, mm-hmm. So I'm sure there will be a lot of jokes about like – Oh, I've got to clean up the language here. Or normally I would say this and, you know. The shtick of Deadpool, for those unfamiliar with the character, right. is that he breaks the fourth wall constantly. Picture Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he's kind of talking to the audience and, and saying a, a what's going And there's a Ferris Bueller on. spoof in one of his movies. Yeah, the post credit scene of the first Deadpool, he comes out looking like Ferris. From the post credit scene of Ferris post- Bueller's Day Off. Exactly. Yes. What I'm most excited about this film, though, is two words. Fred Savage. Apparently, the way that this film is set up, Fred Savage has been kidnapped and he has to stay there for the remainder of the movie while Deadpool reads him this PG-13 version of Deadpool 2, The framing device is going to copy A Princess Bride. So it's fun to see Fred Savage belittle Deadpool a little bit in the trailer. So we have that to look forward to. Also, Mortal Engines comes out next week, and then the week after, it's the real blockbusters (gasps) with Bumblebee and Aquaman. Cole. And welcome to Marwin. But next week, we'll be giving a review for a film that was nominated for four Golden Globes (gasps) that you and I saw a couple weeks back. And next week, we will finally be able to talk about Mary Mary Poppins Poppins Returns. Returns. Mickey's laughing. I don't know why. You guys are so excited because about we it. Like, we I haven't never seen it, agree. so I don't know. I, never, I have to watch this We song. won't say this what we thought miss. about it, but Cole is right in that we never agree, and we agreed on this one. Yes. That's all that we'll say. Anyway, speaking of music, I feel like we've been talking about music a little bit with Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. When we return, we are going to continue our discussion of music Because movies uh, play a big part in the success of music, or they can at least. And sometimes a song is not as popular until it shows up in a movie. We're going to have a discussion with Don Shaline of Through the Garage Door fame. And we are going to discuss some of our picks for songs that were popularized by the movies. This is Screen Cleaning. One more person who wants something from you. So I'm going to walk away. Why can't I be with her, Gene? For the same reason, man, that you cannot be with anybody.
feel bad cutting into this intro because I think anytime this song is played, people just want to sit back and soak it all in and just be in awe of whatever is in front of them. Usually this song is played in movies when something very awe-inspiring is happening. Welcome back to Screen Cleaning. You know, speaking of songs, whenever a song reaches the top of the music charts, its success can usually be attributed to uh, the performer, maybe the songwriter, a producer, maybe even an agent. And sometimes it's a, a scandal or a death But sometimes a hit song owes its success to a movie, which is why we're going to be talking about them here on Screen Cleaning here today. And we have brought in a very special guest, somebody who is an authority figure on a lot of these songs we're going to be talking about. That just means I'm old. I've just... I remember no. them over the years. No, it just means <laughs> that you've got a show dedicated to rock yeah. and roll music called Through the Garage Door That's on BYU right. Radio. Yes, yes, we do. So we, of course, are lucky enough to be graced with the presence of Don Shaline on the program today. Welcome. Well, it's nice to be here. I, I have listened to the show for a long time, and now I'm excited I actually get to be on the show. Now you're really listening because we're talking about music, which yeah. you love. Yep. And I I want to set a couple of ground rules here. We have a couple of criteria for our discussion here today. We wanted to look at movies that were made either more famous by being in movies or... The the songs that were... Right. The songs were made more famous because they were in a movie or... Maybe these are songs that used to be a hit, but maybe people forgot about them or forgot about the performer. But then when they were put in a movie again decades later, boom, they topped the charts once again. These are not songs, however. These are not songs that were written specifically for a movie. Those those songs are disqualified. We'll save that conversation for another day. Really? Okay. Mm. That should be fun. And we've each got three picks, and we're going to let Don start with his first pick, and you may have already heard it coming into the program. Yes, we, we opened with that, and, and my, I so cannot speak German, so I won't say this the way it really <laughs> should be said. I had one of our staffers here say it, and it sounded <laughs> almost German. Uh, but also sprach Zarathustra, that's kind of my Italian read of it, which uh, <laughs> apparently translated as Thus Spake Zoroaster. You know, it's it's mm. about the prophet uh, uh, Zoroaster in any way, uh, written by Ricard Strauss, um, and it, just a classical piece, but magnificent, so mag- magnificent that uh, we've heard it in many movies. Elvis Presley would start his shows with it and, you know, <laughs> his, his live performances, but uh, probably 2001, A Space Odyssey really brought that to the forefront. That just that was 2001, Space Odyssey, right? I wonder if there's anybody that doesn't associate this song with 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. And whenever you see it in movies now, they're not doing their own thing with it. They are spoofing. Stanley Kubrick in <laughs> yeah, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Probably, yeah. It's it's some uh, underplayed moment in the movie, and it's like, okay, this is not all that great, but they put that music on, and it's like, wow, Now it's huge. epic. Yeah. This, this <laughs> brings up a really interesting point about film scoring as well, because there was a score supposed to be written originally for 2001, huh. but when they heard this song and some of the other classical pieces that they used— it stuck to what was being edited and used in the film, even though for all I knew, when I first saw 2001, I thought all this classical music was written for the movie. It was around first and then got repopularized by being in this great movie. 
Right. And, you know, anytime you listen to the song, it really is awe-inspiring. And inspiring, I think, is a key word here. You just you feel like you can go out and accomplish something great, which is a good feeling to have. So as that it plays, it's a very short piece, actually. Uh, and so it delivers a huge punch. And then it fades out, and on we go to the you know to the next piece or whatever. But it's a great stage setting. And speaking of the classical music, I'm going to keep us classical for one more little piece with a song that's recognized for use by a Disney movie. Oh, that's the song. I thought somebody's phone was buzzing. <laughs> This is The Sorcerer's Apprentice, most oh, famous for its use in Fantasia. Now, Fantasia was, was an amazing uh, movie because it was based around classical performances. Oh, yeah. It was the, visual, it was the first music video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mostly when original scores are written for movies, they're the last thing that's slapped on. But with Fantasia, it was entirely opposite. They had all this music that they wanted to feature, and so they put visuals and put movie to the music. You know, what's interesting about these first two picks, and I wouldn't be surprised if this was a theme later on as we mentioned these other songs, but both of these... Uh, both of these movies have been spoofed on The Simpsons. Have they? This was an itchy and scratchy <laughs> episode, uh, very much like The Sorcerer's Apprentice. But yeah, I don't know why. Fantasia never really spoke to me all that much. I, I was going to ask you guys. Fantasia, to me, is kind of an acquired... You either love it or you hate it. Sure. You, there are a lot of people that... Uh, my wife is one who is like, really? You want to keep that little <laughs> DVD around here? Can't we give that away to the grandkids or something? And it made a ton of money when it was released and then re-released uh, back in 2000, I believe. Well, no, they made an entirely new one. Yeah. They made a sequel, Fantasia 2000, oh, with yeah. different music That's and right. different uh, visuals. Hmm. Fantasia, I love Fantasia. My mother is blind, like legally always has been blind, can't see blind. And hmm. so when she watches Fantasia, she is... Getting, uh, she can watch movies. She enjoys dialogue. She enjoys like sure. witty banter and things like that. But Fantasia, I think more so than any other movie, really blends the two, audio and visual, sure, so seamlessly that you have to have both to really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I love it. It's just kind of a visual sound experience. Yeah, but I think if I had to choose, you know, I might. This might be a good piece to to doze off to sleep to. <laughs> well, then I'll I'll bring Night at Bald Mountain. There next you go. Time That'll wake him up. We'll, we'll get you woke. But it gets back to Ave Maria after that, so he's back asleep. You know, Cole. Here's something else that'll wake you up. Uh, when I was in college and even in high school, I was very much a uh, romantic comedy type of guy. I was very much into the very dramatic proposals, asking a girl to the dance, asking a girl to be my girlfriend. Like that was a thing. You had to ask them officially to be your girlfriend. And in college, I put this next song on a tape. And when I was embracing my then girlfriend, I very slyly pressed play in my pocket. And this is what came out of the speaker. This, of course, is Kiss Me by you Six Sly Guy. <laughs> oh, man. She may have laughed, and that's, I think that's the response I, I was, was going say, for. This little tinny yeah. speaker. <laughs> Where's that coming from? Uh, so, this is from Sixpence None the Richer, and this is a song that they did not write for the movie She's All That, but it was very heavily featured in uh, the TV show Dawson's Creek. 
which they used made it, it for more the end popular. Of two different episodes, right? <laughs> Dawson's Creek, and then it appeared in She's All That, which was a very popular teen romantic comedy. I believe uh, it was 1999. So again, the prime time for me to really appreci- appreciate this type of song because I was, I was a sappy romantic into sappy <laughs> romantic comedies, and this definitely fit the bill. But it certainly is a very pretty song, and I think for a lot of guys, it could be considered a guilty pleasure. They would never admit it, but. It right, ties in, but that's know, why it's a guilty it, pleasure. That's right. Cole, I think we've identified another show that we're going to have to do later on, Guilty Pleasures, <laughs> that, or maybe we'll just call it uh, Jeff special, talks about rom-coms for a while. <laughs> we'll call yeah. it Special Confessions on Screen Cleaning. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know, Don, what was your opinion of that? You've probably heard the song before, Oh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I liked it when it came out. Uh, most This is where it's hard for me on this topic because my... I am much more into music than into movies. Sure. And so I'm coming to this from, well, yeah, I know where I was when I first heard that song. And much later I heard it in a movie and it's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, they use that. That's great. Yeah. But but for many people, I'm sure their first impression of a song like that would be within the context of the TV show or the movie. And they'll always mm-hmm. remember that uh, scene or whatever. And, and I think it's really cool. Well, and I think with a lot of these romantic comedies, too, people – like to visualize themselves in these situations, in these romantic situations, because we all, I think we're all a little romantic at heart, I would hope. Sure. I think the world could be a a better place if we were. Anyway, I'm actually going to share the next pick, which is from another romantic comedy. This one's a little bit more of an oddball of romantic comedy. That's what I'm thinking. Great film. Great casting. I was telling Cole about the cast. He had never, he's never seen the film before. But uh, this is one that was released in 1988, and it was really big in other countries. But when this film came out, and it was featured in the film at the request of the film's star, uh, Mary Stuart Masterson, who plays June in Benny and June, it became a huge hit. Okay, I'm just going to go out and say that this is another guilty pleasure, I'm sure, for a lot of guys. And for every woman, this is the epitome of romantic love songs because, yes, they want that type of a man that would be willing to walk a thousand miles, that would be willing to do the dishes every once in a while, right? Well, now you draw the line at dishes. (laughs) You know, this song, though, I love the Proclaimers, and I've always loved this song because they're so darn enthusiastic about it. Absolutely. I wouldn't walk. You know, they're they're right there, man. (laughs) I I just love how they, they attack that song. Right, and it's it's such a perfect fit for this movie, too. If you haven't seen it, it's this woman who kind of struggles with some mental health issues, and she has an older brother who's her caretaker who is really at a point in his life where he's not sure if he can take care of her anymore. And she is at a point in her life where she wants to be a little more independent, go out on her own. And uh, it just so happens that this very oddball character who doesn't really have any mental health issues, he's just Just really weird. Is that the Johnny Depp? That is the Johnny Depp character. (laughs) And he, there is a lot of homage that's paid to uh, Charlie Chaplin yeah. in this film that just really makes it charming. It's interesting. I told Cole an interesting tidbit about this movie. I'm sure you've seen it, right, Don? Yeah, it's been a long uh, time. She, uh, 
she makes grilled cheese sandwiches with an, an iron, iron. I remember and that. And she mashes her potatoes <laughs> with a tennis racket. Well, for the sake of time, they had to delete a scene where she cooks a lobster in a dishwasher, which I would have loved to have seen. I don't know. PETA may not have appreciated that, but uh, what a great song. And I think you hit the nail on the on the head, Don. And just when you are an artist of any kind, whether you're a comedian, whether you're a singer, a performer, people aren't going to appreciate it as much unless you completely commit to it and you sell it. And that's what the it. proclaimers do in oh, this yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. Now, can I talk about uh, a song that I first heard in a very appropriate place? I was in Italy in the early 70s and listening to—I actually got a cassette of the top 10 songs on the Italian pop charts. All of them but one Italian, totally Italian artists and Italian pop stuff— there was one song that the title was Italian. It was called Mamma Mia by a mm. Swedish group, ABBA. I think I've heard of it. Have you heard that one? And you'll notice, Don, that we very specifically chose the Meryl Streep version from the film yes. Mamma Mia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I loved it. It was a peppy tune and Mamma Mia, you know, is right there in the context. But it didn't get near the chart uh, status that it got after it got into the movie. Of course, the Mamma Mia movies with, uh, with Meryl Streep. And I don't know if you knew this, Don, but Mamma Mia actually came out the same weekend as another huge film. And you would have thought that everybody's going to see this other film and Mamma Mia is just going to bomb. Not the case. For the people that were not going to see The Dark Knight, which came out on the same weekend back in 2008, Mamma Mia what, that fit the ticket for all the other people, and it did very well. Yeah. So Classic much so that— counter-programming. That, yeah, right? That, that's right. You, you want something a little lighter here. Well, here's Mamma Mia. So, I mean, you mentioned, Don, that it wasn't as popular uh, the first time around. I mean— it, that could be because some of the other songs on that album were a little more popular than oh, yeah. Mamma Mia itself, right? Yeah, yeah. and, and ABBA, ABBA was uh, was huge. They, they were uh, cranking out hits all over the place. And so, you know, it, it was still a hit, but one of the many hits that ABBA was putting out. And so it, it didn't really stand out as much on its own in, until it had a title in a movie like that. Well, I it hasn't convinced me to see the movie yet, and I really don't want to see the sequel. Um, that's not my cup of tea, but I do love ABBA, and I would also consider ABBA another guilty pleasure for me You're right, anyway. you're right. Guys admitting they like ABBA, that's, that takes a lot of guts. You know? It's almost on par as admitting that you like Ace of Base, but I really truly feel that every guy likes Ace of Base as well. Because they're so enthusiastic, well, like what are. you were saying. They are. All right, Cole, I think you've got our next pick. I do, and we've kind of reached the cover portion of our program today. We have Meryl Streep singing some ABBA for you, and then we have a re-release of a very old folksy song for my next pick. I am a man of constant sorrow. 
this again comes from a musical of sorts, but it's not your that's, conventionalist kind of musical. I was going to say, that's funny to call that a musical, isn't it? <laughs> but, it but it's true. It's it loaded really with is. great music, and yeah. This the goal of today's show is to show off a lot of songs that got more popular when they came out again. Sure. We don't have the billboard from the nineteen twenties when Man of Constant Sorrow or Down to the up, River Cole. to Pray or the other songs <laughs> that were featured in Oh Brother Where Art Thou originally. The soggy came Bottom up. Boys. I and I just love the whole concept of that where they wander into the old radio station, you know, this blind DJ kind of guy right. that's uh uh, putting them on and, and just getting all excited about this, recording them as they go. But my favorite thing is the way they perform that when they get up there and they jump up, and, you know, <laughs> and just right up to the to the microphone to sing their echoing parts and things. They again, enthusiasm is there. And politics come into that scene too, where they kind of they kind of change the tide of oh, yeah. the uh, of the constituency. Of this one political candidate. I, I'm sure, Don, you've probably heard this song before, Oh Brother, Where no. Art Thou came out. You hadn't. Nope, nope. That was interesting. That, that's true. That is my first time. A lot of these songs I had heard before, but that was the first time I'd heard. And that makes How a lot of that? sense because you described, uh, for people that this is their first exposure to these songs as the movies, is you can picture so well the scene that it's happening. Where they're and singing, so yeah. when you described them coming up to the can, I was thinking, I don't think Don's heard this before that. No, you're that right. That makes sense. You're right. Can you imagine the joy, like the, the original songwriters, if they were looking down from heaven, seeing how popular this song and this entire album became, I can only imagine how much joy it would bring them. Because this is one of those songs that... A lot of people probably don't remember who the original songwriter was. It just kind of passes from one performer to the next. It might just say traditional down at the bottom. Right. Of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. But this song was a huge hit. And I believe the album, the soundtrack, won a Grammy Award. So, you deserved it. I mean, this is, I mean, this is the power of a good movie. When you can shine a big light on music that has been completely forgotten or you're helping people discover for the first time, there's a lot of power in that. I have a very oddball pick, also featured in, in a romantic, a romantic comedy. comedy. One that is the, a romantic comedy that's not as obscure, but this version of this song might not be as familiar to you. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Now, Don, I know you've heard this song sung by the Beatles. By the Beatles, but that they didn't write it either. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard this uh, cover yeah. of the song? You have. I have, yeah. It is so much fun, and it is on one of two volumes of a soundtrack for The Wedding Singer. The Full Wedding of, Singer. like 20 other songs oh, yeah. that I oh, like that's more a, that's than mine. <laughs> I think I remember reading originally they had about 50 hit songs in this movie. It could be an over-exaggeration, but I believe it, though. so many hits in this movie that they couldn't possibly put them all on one soundtrack. And this song was kind of a modest hit when it came out on the charts in the United States back in the 80s. But when The Wedding Singer was released in 1999, 1999, by the way, is Cole's favorite year for movies. And 
When it came out in 1999, I believe the soundtrack peaked at number 22 on the Billboard charts, which is pretty respectable. Sure, sure. Um, I'm going to do you 21 better with my next pick, but keep Whoa. talking. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a, this is a movie that you could you could just roll off all the great hits that are in this. You you make my dreams by Hall and Oates was in it. You spin me round, White Wedding, True by Spandu Heart, Ballet, Killed the Radio Star. I can list them off because I. <laughs> I wanted to prove to you that with all these options and with everything that Adam Sandler is covering as well in this uh, program as well, there are so many other songs you could have picked, Jeffrey. Why money? Well, I chose this one because, as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, the the criteria for this discussion were it had to have either improved because of the release of the movie or it was a song or a performer that maybe people forgot about and it reintroduced them to it. But I want to mention another song, which is not an 80s song, by Cool and the Gang, one of my favorite songs, which is Ladies' Night, my favorite version of Ladies' Night, John Lovitz as the competing wedding singer. When Adam Sandler (laughs) decides he's retiring from singing at weddings, they're going to hire John Lovitz to sing at Drew Barrymore's wedding. And if you can imagine John Lovitz being really creepy and uh, croony-esque, I guess, then you've got John Lovitz in one of the best scenes of the movie. And that's my pick, Money by the Flying Lizards. The Flying Lizards. <laughs> I was going to say, that's who pulled that one off. So, Cole, you said you were going to do me one better with your pick. What have you got in mind? Well, this is coming from the number one album whenever it was released as the soundtrack for the movie. Notice how he kind of rubbed in that number yeah. one, not, not number, number 22. Because <laughs> your goal was to get it higher, and that I did. This is, I'm going to lead in with the scene from Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. I'm finishing this so we can listen to tunes while we work. How is that a priority? Blame Quill! He's the one who loves music so much! No, I actually agree with Drax on this. That's hardly important right now. And now we get into Mr. Blue Sky by the Electric Light Orchestra with chaos going on in the background. (laughs) This song represents so many important things that I want to talk about music in movies because... First of all, it does one of my favorite things where the visuals don't match up with the sound that you're hearing for right. a purposeful reason. This is a happy, fun, doop-a-doop-doo song yeah. um, while there is just carnage going on behind, but while also Baby Groot is dancing and oblivious in the foreground as well. That's fantastic. And then also all of the songs in Guardians of the Galaxy Volumes 1 and Volume 2 represent diegetic music. And what this is, is I get I get to teach for a second here. <laughs> is that different from dietetic? Mm-hmm. Yes, a little bit. When I'm, <laughs> when music is diegetic in a movie, it means the characters in the movie can also hear it. Oh, so we've had songs where they're just kind of playing. I know with Benny and June, Five Hundred Miles is just kind of playing in the background, right? But the whole point of Rocket talking about getting the speakers hooked up so that they can listen to the music is that while we're listening to this music, the characters in the movie are also listening to the same music. It's a twist that you can put on incorporating sound and music into your movie. And it is actually helping them with their task at hand. Yeah. Right? It's oh, kind yeah. of saying, hey, okay, we're getting this job done because we got the tunes on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to share this opportunity or take this opportunity to share my favorite 
Pandora Station. If you want to hear hit after hit after hit and not have to fast forward through any of the songs, type in Electric Light Orchestra on Pandora. (laughs) You will not be disappointed. Uh, They just make you smile. Whenever you hear the Electric Light Orchestra, you just kind of smile. One of the few bands and albums that you can put on where, again, you're not going to fast forward through any of the songs. You just like all of them. I you know it's it's probably not my favorite ELO song definitely up there I also love Don't Bring Me Down oh, yeah. but again I think you're right Cole a, a good song like this can just make you happy and coupled with Baby Groot who makes everybody happy such a great <laughs> character universally because he doesn't really say anything no no it's it's all about his inflections and his actions so Don uh, we now I get the last song, would like I? to end with a song that really is the whole reason we're even having this is that, conversation. Is this where the show came from? <laughs> Absolutely. When you talk about songs that were made even more famous by appearing in a movie, uh-huh. this has got to be number one on everybody's list. I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, scaramouche, will you do the bandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Now, while not exactly... Any, everybody would associate this song with the movie Wayne's World. A lot of people would. With a lot of people would. I, I loved it when it first came out. I actually was out of the country, back to the Italy story. But I, I, when I came back to the country, this was had already been on the charts, and I discovered it and went totally wacko. I just would love to play that over and over because it was so amazing. But it still felt a little bit underground, a little bit like, uh, yes, yeah, a little too weird for it to be a hit. Sure. A little too long to be long, a hit. Long, and you can't dance to it, all that kind of stuff. But then Wayne's World came out, and the guys, you know, just bobbing their heads and rocking <laughs> out to it. And it was like the whole world said, yeah, we can do that same thing. And it it totally had a real, a brand new life again. I think you, you brought up a good point that it was... It was kind of hard to categorize, kind of weird and yeah. long. Yeah. It probably drove radio DJs up the walls. Totally. Like, how am I going to play this six-minute song and <laughs> yeah. not having people turn the channel? Right, and it changes the speed and this Mamma yeah. Mia and Figaro and what? Yeah. If you look, if you look closely at that scene when they're bobbing their heads, especially Dana Carvey and Mike Myers who are sitting in the front seats – they, they're not as enthusiastic with their head bobbing as the guys in the back because their necks were hurting so bad from having to bob their Do heads over up and, and down <laughs> again, again, and again. Yeah, and uh, Mike Myers was just not happy. They were in so much pain doing this scene. That is funny. So, so rock and roll, you got to be careful. you got to pace yourself when you're right. doing your head bob. And a, a little bit of sad news in that Freddie Mercury did not live to see this movie and what it what it did to his amazing song. But I did read that he did see this head bobbing scene with Bohemian Rhapsody in it, and he approved of it. Yeah. So that is good. The filmmakers wanted to use a totally different song. Can you imagine that scene with a different song with, no. for say, a... Uh, 
Guns N' Roses song? Yeah, you, you'd, you'd get some of the bombast, but not nearly that, right. which is just, you know, all of the different parts and them mouthing the whole thing, yeah. it was. I'm not sure which one it was going to be, but it was going to be a Guns N' Roses song, and Mike Myers threatened to quit the movie wow. over this. He said, it's got to be Bohemian Rhapsody, and he felt that strongly enough about it. And this is a guy, this is his first movie. Can you imagine the gall of him threatening to walk out over yeah, this? Yeah, who are you? But again, this is I, I think this is another song a lot of people could agree just makes you want to rock out and, like you said, have that same reaction as Wayne and Garth bobbing your head and just being in awe of the amazing things happening here because there's so much going on, so much that feels like it's breaking the rules. But that's part of the genius of the song. And then after all, nothing really matters to me. <laughs> By the way, if you want to see another great version of this song, look up Muppets singing oh. Bohemian Rhapsody. If you haven't seen it, yeah. it is pure joy. Of course, uh, Weird Al Yankovic doing the Bohemian polka. That's also a great version of it. Right. <laughs> and usually in his polka songs, he does a string of songs to these different polka yeah. themes. But he dedicates his entire, entire song to, to Queen. One. Love it. Well, this has been a really fun discussion. And again, uh, it goes to show the power not only of music, but the power of movies. What a great movie can do to elevate a good song that maybe has been forgotten. Maybe it's decades old and it just needs a new audience. And thank goodness for movies helping music be discovered anew. When we return, Cole and I will mention a few honorable mentions. This is Screen Cleaning. Love this song, and it didn't make our our list of songs or uh, reinvigorated by movies or TV. However, this was in a very popular television show, and so for me, it's difficult to not think of the song without imagining Brian Cranston as the dad from Malcolm ah, in the Middle yes. teaching his sons how to roller skate. To this song. <laughs> and he is dead serious about it. He doesn't want anybody, you know, treating it lightly. And Cole or Mickey, do either of you know who did Funky Town? What band? Um, I should know, but I Cole? don't know. <laughs> a, a band called Lips, comma, Incorporated. Sounds like or a Lips one-hit Inc. wonder to me. <laughs> it is such a get-up-and-dance type of song, though, or in this case, get-up-and-skate. That would be my honorable... your head. Yeah, I don't right. really love the song either, but all three of us in the studio here were oh, yeah. doing a little kind of dance. We just spent a moment in Funky Town. And so, yeah, I would thank Malcolm in the Middle for shedding some more light on this fantastic song. Mickey, how about you? What would you? What would be an honorable mention for you? Okay, here's mine. So maybe if you're if you're older than me, you may have heard of Ace of Base. I saw the sign. I had never until I saw the every, film. Pitch every Perfect. man's every man's guilty pleasure, by the way. Mm, Ace of Base. Pitch, Pitch Perfect is what introduced me to that song, and now a lot of people, a lot of kids my age, I should say, are very familiar with Ace of Base. And I saw the sign. You would hardly recognize me. I'm so this glad. is a great scene in the film because it precedes some projectile 
Uh, very funny movie and a very good song. I'm kidding you. You know, I say guilty pleasure, but I think if you asked any man whether he liked Ace of Base, I think he would, he would freely it. admit it. He wouldn't be like in his car hoping nobody hears him. I think everybody would just break out in song, man or woman, and I generally do anytime I hear Ace of Base. Sure. Cole! <laughs> Cole, you would be the anomaly, Cole. It's okay. I. It's how, fun sounding. How dare you. Cole obviously has not seen the sign, hmm. and it didn't open up his eyes either. What a shame. I've got an honorable mention as well. So okay. we precluded music that was written for movies specifically from our conversation. That was kind of the key. Right. But my honorable mention was written for a different movie and then found fame in a later movie. So it wasn't written for the movie where it found the fame. Okay. So it's sort of – this is why it wasn't actually in my list, but it's an honorable mention because I'm cheating a little bit by talking about Bing Crosby's – I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. So explain the film that it first made its appearance in. It first appeared in Holiday Inn in the 1940s, um, which was an inn that Bing Crosby and Fred Astaire kind of hung out in. And the idea was that they would only work on the holidays because they were entertainers and they were sick of having to work through the holidays. They wanted some time off. It's a weird movie, but it's got music for each holiday. Right. So this including was including Christmas. Back in the early days of Bing before his on-screen relationship started getting a little creepy. Yes. Like in the next film this song appears in, right? White Christmas. White Christmas. In the 1950s. So it wasn't written for White Christmas, but it became famous in White Christmas. I looked it up uh, when they made White Christmas, Bing Crosby was twice the age of Rosemary Clooney. Like 50 and 25. Wow. Yep, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I, I think the point they're trying to make is with a voice like that, he can just woo any woman, right? Mm. <laughs> you don't like I Bing don't Crosby? I do. My beef with Bing Crosby is that once he starts to sing, it all becomes about him. So that's why I generally don't listen to his songs that he sings about some of the more religious aspects of Christmas. Because the focus is on him. And let's we've not, talked about let's not kid anyone. We've talked about this before. In my opinion, one of Bing Crosby's best Christmas songs was when he did A Little Drummer Boy with David Bowie. <laughs> and in that, he's not – it's not all about him. It's very – David Bowie's got the spotlight. Um, and okay. And Bing's just in the back going rump-a-tum-pum-pum. <laughs> Good for nice. him. Good for him. So, Mickey, I understand you've got a little segment for us that's a good offshoot of what we've been talking about. I do. Okay. So, it's not necessarily music that's been revived, but rather just some of my favorite music moments that have existed in the movies. So, hopefully, we'll enjoy. There are few things better than listening to music, right? Although I do have to say, it gets better for me when they put music in movies. And it gets even better when there's dancing. So, without further ado, here's a list of my favorite musical moments from the movies. Just a disclaimer, my list isn't perfect. I'll admit it, I have never seen Footloose. But anyway, here's number one. Somewhere Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. Is it a beautiful song, but I think it's a sentiment we can all relate to. We've all wanted to be in a different place at some point, and Judy Garland captures that essence 
perfectly. Number two, the hills are alive from The Sound of Music. The hills are alive with the sound of music. This is probably one of the most iconic movie scenes of all time, not to mention scenes with music in them. They used a helicopter to film it, and the big gusts of winds from the blades kept knocking Julie Andrews over. Luckily, they still got the footage they needed, and we can still enjoy this movie today. Number three. America from West Side Story. I like to be in America. Okay, by me in America. Everything free in America. It's a dance number that combines comedy and political commentary. What more could you want? Number four, Skyfall from Skyfall, which is a James Bond movie. This is the end. I've drowned and dreamed this moment. It's one of my favorite opening credit scenes of all time, done in true Bond fashion with a little bit of a modern twist, of course. Adele in the background only helps make it that much better. Number five, Sisters from sisters, White Christmas. Sisters, there were never such devoted sisters. Now, maybe I just like this one because I have a few sisters of my own, but I also think it's maybe one of the funniest musical numbers I've ever seen. So, there's my top five musical moments. Now, what are yours? Speaking of another head-bobbing song, all, that one got all of us as well. We were just rocking out to that disco rendition of I our... I like our theme song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, we've been talking music reinvigorated by movies throughout the show, and, you know... We just recently saw Bohemian Rhapsody, right? And while we were watching it, uh, we kept talking to each other saying, man, I didn't realize how many hits they had. And one of the things that my wife mentioned was it'd be great to own all of their songs on CD because I'm not familiar with so many of them. So I thought, oh, maybe that's something I could consider getting her for Christmas. But what do you get for somebody that I don't want to say is a snob, but somebody that's very particular about certain tastes, like somebody who's particular about movies, movies. for instance. We call them cinephiles, to be nice. Yes. And I think (laughs) that the three of us kind of fall in that category. Maybe. Probably. Um, So I've found a list of what to get the cinephile for Christmas. If you or a loved one is listening to our podcast, then your loved one is probably a cinephile, and so we got some ideas for you. Now, this isn't like a Jeff Foxworthy, you may be a cinephile if... No, 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 no. Okay. Not this gotcha. time. <laughs> but, um, and it's also not us asking for uh, Christmas presents, me from you or you from I. Although or... we certainly would not reject any presents sent our way. I did notice the first thing I'll talk about here on this list is something that you had talked to me about. Um, a 15-film Alfred Hitchcock <gasps> collection yes! was on all three. I went to three different websites looking wow. for lists of things to get the cinephile. This showed up on all three lists. Yeah, I will not be getting that one for Christmas, unfortunately. It's a popular gift. It's also an expensive gift. Yep. Is it DVD? DVD copy, Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, probably the best. Digital? The lowest, the cheapest I've seen it for is $50. But if you think about it, that's like, what, three bucks a film? I saw 65 and 75 on the lists that I was on, which is a little more expensive. Yep. 
Okay, so Alfred Hitchcock. How about another one for you, Jeff? You're a fan of your movie Popcorn, I know. Oh, I just had some last night. So how about a single-serving microwave popcorn uh, thingamajig is, I think, what it's called. I'm a fan of thingamajigs. Like it sure. makes popcorn? Yeah, it's a, little okay. plastic, <laughs> it's a little plastic thing shaped like a movie popcorn bowl. Yes. Okay. Oh. And you put your seed things in there. And Kernels? Then, yes. Yeah. Okay. Your seed things, <laughs> I'm, right? I'm with you. Step one, you. seed things. Step I, two, pop them. I don't like popcorn, people. I'm not familiar with your popcorn vernacular, but it's a single serving and it looks, it's movie-ish. Okay. Right? So there's that. Um, an interesting one that I saw that um, I thought about because my movie stubs always just end up in my back pocket mm-hmm. until I do the laundry and then they're crumpled up wet pieces of paper in the like lint catcher. Yes. But there is a gift called the Ticket Stubs Diary for everyone to what? put where you, uh, where you saw a thing. Oh, I like that. I'm a fan. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Wow. I used to save my movie tickets like in a little Ziploc bag when it's I was a, a teenager. It's a common thing among cinephiles to kind of remember the movies that they saw on the big screen. Sometimes you'd like to forget, though. Yeah. I keep track digitally, but it would be nice to keep track how do you keep da- or How do you keep track digitally? Uh, Letterboxd.com <gasps> has a diary. Feature and you just go you, through and click on movies you've seen, and I when I see it, like you can put the day, you can write a review if you want. Whoa, mm-hmm. wow, it's cool, and that's free. I wish so, I had time for that. Merry Christmas! But <laughs> that that I can afford. <laughs> I wish I had something for my posterity. Yeah, a digital diary is one thing, <laughs> right. but a physical just thing you can open up. Because I'm not going to keep a yeah. real journal, but a movie journal, why not? Yeah. There's also a Criterion – we talked about like Hitchcock's fancy films. Right. There's a Criterion Collection coffee book, the oh. coffee table book. It's a big hardbound mm-hmm. thing you can sure. stick in the I, – I assume people that aren't still living in college housing like me have coffee tables where they can put coffee table books. Oh. <laughs> this is one of those can big fancy th- – I cannot. <laughs> wow. That must be crazy. Jeff, tell us about it. <laughs> uh, What's it like being an adult? Coffee tables, um, you know, it's just one more thing for your kid to get hurt on. Mm. So, all right. So you've given us some ideas there, Cole. That's fantastic. Yeah. I might check some of those out for myself. As we, as we always like to do, we finish our show with our panning for good segment. There's good in them there hills. <laughs> You were just practicing your prospector laugh. That's right. And this is the the segment that we dig a little deeper to find something that is of that's noteworthy that we want you to know about. We've been speaking uh, music reinvigorated by movies. We've been speaking about famous movie moments. This is a movie you may not have heard of before. We have mentioned it on the show before, but it contains one of my favorite music movie moments of all time and it comes right after a pie fight and it is from the film the 70s film Bugsy Malone so they've all just gotten in this big pie fight and now they're making up and they're saying we can be anything we want we don't have to have labels like bad guys we can just all be good guys even though they're you know labeling themselves there again uh, but who doesn't love a good pie fight, and who doesn't love a good song written by the wonderful Paul Williams, who did all those Muppet songs and did some other songs? He's still alive, by the way. Anyway, that is going to do it for this episode of Screen Cleaning. And we hope you go out there and listen to some music, maybe something other than just Christmas music, something that can get your head bobbing. 
Something that can get you in the mood for love. Something that can get you in the giving for giving spirit. That's what we do each week here on Screen Cleaning. We give you the very best and only the very best in entertainment. And we'll be back next week at Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. I finally did the math right. It just took me a little while. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.